may be seated. Thank you for being here to worship at Byfield Parish today. I want to say a special thank you to Dan, uh, the guy who is up here leading worship this morning. Some of you might not know Dan. He just started worshiping with us a few months ago. And actually, uh, some things didn't go quite as expected this week. So I had to call him this week and say, hey, can you, can you help us out? Can you lead us in worship? And he was willing to do that. So uh, make sure to say thank you to Dan after the service and introduce yourself to him if you haven't gotten to meet him yet. And also thank you to Kate for leading us on piano. Uh, Holly's away on vacation this week. And so those are certainly big shoes to fill and Kate did an awesome job of doing so. Many years ago, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to travel a fair bit in Europe the spring and summer of my junior year. Now, during part of those travels, I was by myself, and to keep myself entertained when I was alone, I had brought a book with me written by Fyodor Dostoevsky, the same Russian author who was famous for having written Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov. I may have mentioned this book before. Now, neither of those books that Dostoevsky was famous for were particularly happy reads, but the book I was reading on my trip, the only book I had with me to help pass the lonely hours made those novels seem cheery by comparison. The book I was reading was titled The Idiot. I know it is shocking that a book titled The Idiot would be depressing. Nobody could see that coming. The main character in the book, The Idiot, is considered to be a fool not because he lacks intelligence, but because he is too good. Those interacting with him constantly take advantage of his goodness. His influence on the world is redemptive. Unfortunately, this redemption comes at great personal cost to himself. For me, the whole plot was incredibly depressing. The way redemption was happening in the book didn't make sense to me. Dostoevsky's writings reflected his struggles to understand the interactions of his Christian faith with a broken world. As Christians, we often struggle to understand how God goes about redeeming this world from darkness to light. His ways don't make sense to us. His goodness seems foolish when it runs up against this world. In our attempt to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ this summer, we're trying to gain a deeper knowledge of how God is at work in the world. Today we are going to focus on how Jesus came into this world as a child to confront the darkness. 
For this, we will turn to a passage of Scripture that may feel out of season as it is most often associated with Christmas for understandable reasons. While it may feel out of season to read right now, it is a passage that is equally relevant in July as it is in December. So if you would turn with me to the ninth chapter of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1, we will read through verse 7. The text should also be projected on the wall behind me if you prefer to read it from there. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's on page 536. We'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephalti. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If those verses sent a chill up your spine, you are not alone. They send a chill of excitement up my spine every time I read them. It is not hard to convince people that things in this world could be better. This is a point I frequently find myself making in sermons. There is evidence all around that the world we live in is far from perfect, if not outright evil at times. Each generation has a new set of concerns that feel overwhelming. I grew up in the 80s. Back then, the menace that was on everyone's mind was the Russians. My elementary school was 21 miles from Oak Ridge National Lab, where work had been done on the first atomic bombs. There was a fear 
that if nuclear war ever happened, or sometimes it felt like when it happened, Oak Ridge would be a priority target for the Russians. Nuclear war didn't feel like some remote possibility. The movies I watched as a child always had Russians as the villains. One of my favorites was Red Dawn, where the Russians actually invaded the United States, forcing a band of high school students to form a resistance cell up in the mountains. Some of you might remember that. I and every other American had a desire for this Russian threat to be removed from our lives, for the darkness to be overcome. Today, there are different threats. If you surveyed Americans, you would find they have a variety of concerns. Everything from terrorism to China to corporations. When the Soviet Union broke apart in the late 80s, it felt like a new era of peace was being ushered in. Instead, it was more like the underlying darkness present in our world went from expressing itself in one big way to expressing itself in dozens of smaller ways. Evil didn't disappear, it just diversified its portfolio. The darkness that inhabits our world is not new. It has been around as long as history stretches back. The Jews of the Old Testament that Isaiah is prophesying to, they had their own concerns. Egyptians and Babylonians, droughts and plagues, all cast a shadow on daily existence. One of the issues with people who wish they lived in some past period of time is that they often idealize the darkness of that prior age. Living in colonial times may sound nice until you really think what it would have been like to live under the constant threat of Native American war parties. The reign of the first Queen Elizabeth sounds so cool, so long as you don't think about the ever-present reality of the Spanish Armada attacking. This world's darkness causes the people that live in it to search for light. Some solution to the ever-present darkness that defines our daily experience. There are many options people turn to believing that the light they give off is powerful enough to push back the dark. Throughout history, many political leaders have gained power by proclaiming they alone can overcome the darkness. Since the Enlightenment, science has promised to do away with every shadow. Many still believe that it will. Sometimes it seems like these human efforts are just right on the verge of complete success. So close. 
A disease will be cured. The Berlin Wall comes down in dramatic fashion. We should celebrate when, the, when these victories are attained, but the darkness never completely is eradicated in our world. It always finds another means of expressing itself. Whatever we look to as a source of light in the darkness is what we will worship. We idolize that which we believe can give us safety and security. These things we worship will inevitably disappoint. They are not the ultimate solution to the world's darkness. Any light they give off is a reflected light. Instead of worshiping the Creator, people have a tendency to worship the creation. Unfortunately, the creation itself is flawed. We are flawed. It cannot fix itself. We cannot fix it ourselves. We lack the tools, the capacity. Today's verses look forward to a time when the darkness will be overcome completely. The language used is poetic. We may not know the references off the top of our heads as the original hearers would have, but we, we get viscerally what is being communicated. Verse 1 starts out saying, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Verse 2 adds, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Verse 5 lets us know, into the fire now goes every last soldier's boot and every blood-drenched mantle. All the battle equipment by means of which the world powers caused injustice and violence to triumph. My personal favorite description of what will happen to the darkness in today's verse is verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. I don't think I am alone in this. I find this world burdensome. I find myself burdensome. The consequences it deploys on me, the rod and the staff, are unpleasant and often unfair. All these will be dealt with by God as on the day of Midian. The reference here is to the events recorded in Judges 7. It was in that chapter that Gideon, with his 300 men, surrounded the army of Midian at the Lord's behest. God acted on their behalf to crush an army of darkness they could not overcome through their own efforts. We should be filled with hope when we read what these verses have to say. God promises that this world will change. Our angst is not unique. The particular frustrations prevalent in our society take on slightly different forms. 
We receive our rapid news updates on how terrible the world is on smartphones that are constantly notifying us of every tragic aspect of this world. A hundred years ago, the same information was relayed through newspapers. The overall picture being painted is not unique. The despair we experience will not last forever. Injustice has an expiration date. The reign of darkness will be broken. There is a reason for hope. God will make a way. He has guaranteed it. We don't have to maintain the belief that humanity will finally figure out how to live. The most hopeless I feel is when I am forced to recognize the result of my own meager efforts to fight the dark. I often feel powerless in the face of cultural trends that come crashing into my life. It feels like I'm trying to stop a tidal wave with a sandcastle. So long as my hope is in any effort of man, I should despair. Human efforts don't last. They can't address the underlying issues that coalesce into patterns of living in society that consume and destroy. God doesn't share our limitations. He can do what we cannot. He can rise above the tumult. The surprising thing for us is how God opts to satisfy the hopes described by the prophet Isaiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Really, a child. That is how God is going to overcome the darkness. Yeah, pretty much. He will overcome darkness with light, strength with weakness. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus is the child Isaiah points to. He did not meet the expectations of those that came into contact with him in his life. They wanted someone who could crush darkness with power. His power was so great, he could overthrow the principalities of this world through weakness. We know who Jesus was and how he operated. These verses are not unfamiliar to us. And yet, and yet when we see darkness in our world, we want to confront it with power. People worship worldly power. We worship worldly power. I could give many examples of how this is specifically true for Christians. 
I won't. I will trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. This is a preaching trick. If something is popping into your head right now that you feel defensive about, that you feel angry about, you can't be angry at me. I didn't say anything. I guess you're going to have to take your anger and deal with it with God. The more we try to change this world through our own meager efforts, through human power, the more we, not just, we don't just try to change the world. We try to change the people in our lives, right? The scale of change that many of us want to execute isn't worldwide. It's our spouse. It's our children. It's the people we work with. And often, we try to use power to do so. We try to use the tools of this world. The more we try to change this world through our own meager efforts, through human power, the more frustrated we will be. I wonder if every Christian in America took 8% of the time that we invest in reading the news, listening to podcasts, following Facebook links, and watching our preferred cable network, and spin it in prayer to God, what would happen? If we spent a small percentage of the energy we invest in being angry or depressed and crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come. I ask myself this question when it comes to the people I care about whose lives I want to see change. Jesus is not done confronting the powers of this world with his weakness. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We are existing in the time of increase. Jesus is still at work. He is not done yet. In many ways, the cross was just the beginning. Some would say, I don't see the evidence for the increase. That's fair. It often doesn't feel like it is happening. I think at least part of the issue is the extent to which it's not really, it doesn't feel like it's happening in our immediate vicinity. Maybe if we lived in Africa, India, or China, we might see things differently. In any case, the kingdom Jesus came into this world as a child to establish is eternal. He has established it. He did so through his earthly life on the cross. The promised child secured victory. He will uphold his kingdom. This should be a comfort to all. The survival of Christianity, the church, the kingdom of Christ is not in question. Jesus is upholding all. He is overcoming all. Back when I read the book, The Idiot, while traveling in college, I found it super depressing. Part of this is just a product of reading any book written by a Russian. They're not known for their bright and cheery outlooks on life. I think more of it had to do with me wanting the hero of the book 
to be more like an action movie hero than Jesus. The world we live in is full of reasons to despair. There is war and injustice. We should be disturbed by these things. People are always searching for solutions. We worship the things that we believe can bring about light. We wait for that cowboy in the white hat that has more skill than the dark desperados. We easily believe that worldly power is the means of our salvation. In the name of crushing the dark, we pursue power. Christian hope is not in winning power in this world. Jesus came in weakness as a child to establish his kingdom. He showed love and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus allowed himself to be victimized on the cross so that he could change the world. In his weakness was the greatest strength that was ever known. Through it, he conquered. He established the throne of David with justice and righteousness by coming into this world as a defenseless baby. We are called to trust in the child these verses promise. He is our hope and salvation. The powers of this world can only disappoint. Jesus will not disappoint. Not only are we called to trust, we are called to be like Christ. When Christ reigns in our hearts, the kingdom we hope for expands through our own childlike faith. Our hope for a world of light where the darkness has disappeared is filled with nothing less than Jesus childlike love and righteousness. That is our power. That is our hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are constantly trying to, to bring about a better world. That is, that is our desire as it should be. And, and while definitions of that may vary, our understanding of what such a world would look like may differ. We know that there is an ultimate version of that truth that, that you know, that you are bringing us towards, Lord, and, and we hope for that and we wait for that. As we wait, I pray that we would not seek to exercise power in this world through the means this world offers to us, through these false idols that may have limited success at times, but can't ultimately succeed. I pray that our trust would be in the child that you sent into this world, that our trust would be in Jesus who approached this world in a childlike way. I pray that our prayer would be, come Lord Jesus, come. And that our lives would reflect the same childlike approach that Jesus had in so many ways, the same childlike faith. I ask that you would be with us as we 
continue to exist in a world where there is so much wrong and as we look forward with hope to the future. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.